This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I'm your host, and I'm also the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd. I'm joined with our chief executive nerd, Chris Qualtney, who co-hosts this podcast when he's not too busy. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's up? Too busy moving. That's what I was busy doing, which is the worst thing to be busy doing. Getting your internet installed. Yeah. All that. How's your new apartment? Uh, It's small because we live in Southern California and that's all we can afford. But other than that, it's cool. I noticed that you like the first thing that you posted after y'all moved in was a picture of your board game closet. You better believe it. Ashley, uh, my wife though, it has to be in a closet. It can't actually be out and seen. So I'll take whatever victories I can get. Yeah. Is she ashamed of your games? She's ashamed of me primarily, but also (laughs) the games by extension. Wow. Man, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was going on in your life. She loves me a lot. Yeah, I know that. Uh, We have a very special guest, as we always do on this podcast, and that time, this time, it's Nicholas Cole. Hey, Nicholas. Hi there. You are known probably, or you've done a lot of work on a lot of different games and and nerd properties that would that would uh, coincide with what we do at Love Thy Nerd. So, yeah, give us a like a quick overview of some things you've worked on, what people might know you for. For sure, yeah. Um, I've been kind of doing this whole game art thing for almost 10 years. I'm waiting on January because that's when I could finally start pulling the like, ah, 10 years ago. And, um, <laughs> you get a watch? You get a gold watch? <laughs> a gold watch and just a lot of sciatica, I think. Um, Great. And once I, I cross that boundary, yeah, I'm going to really lord it over everyone. But um, <laughs> Sounds I, uh, like you. <laughs> I, I kicked it off... Uh, way back out of school by um, joining up with a company called 38 Studios, um, who actually just were in the news again recently, because uh, apparently THQ Nordic bought the the whole property that we were working on when the company went under. Um, mm. But uh, oh, yeah, I saw in terms that. of Amalur is this yeah. thing out there that I, I had a hand in at the beginning. And then and that company went very dramatically under. Uh, and I, yeah, seriously. Um, and that was like an RPG thing? It was a, an MMORPG that was sort of poised to unseat World of Warcraft. Um, that was its whole... The, they, totally, <laughs> they totally nailed it, too. <laughs> the, company's, uh, too the company had a mascot before it had a, a product and a slogan that went with the mascot that was World Domination Through Gaming. Okay. Um, yeah, nice. no, we sure did, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really... <laughs> yeah uh so that was kind of my my tragic like batman-esque uh parents in an alley origin when the yeah. company just fell apart it was about 300 people losing their jobs at once oh man yeah gosh so we uh we Welcome all kind of like, industry yeah seriously but we scattered from there and um a bunch of, of friends went to different companies and i decided to strike out as a freelancer and I've been working on you know, various indie projects. A, a friend from that um, original studio moved on to work on Dawngate for EA, uh, which was a sort of a MOBA game in the vein of Dota or League of Legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that ran for a while. 
And so I was on that for, for a bit, uh, doing both character design and there was like a running web comic that came along with Dawngate that was really fun called the Dawngate Chronicles. And then uh, from there on to uh, followed sort of the remnants of that team when that game inevitably went under. Um, I say inevitable because that's just <laughs> what I'm learning about the games industry is that oh, yeah. you're going to sink a lot more than you swim. Um, mm-hmm. But I moved on to, to Shardbound after that, which was a kind of a turn-based sort of card game, board game, digital uh, fantasy project that was really fun. Um, and in, in between all of that, of these projects, I, I've been taking on all kinds of indie project contracts and uh, Shardbound, unfortunately, is, is sort of shuttered its doors as well. So um, do you shutter doors? Is that? You can now. <laughs> <laughs> Starting from so. this moment, you just there created you it. Um, Shardbound, uh, uh, sort of in the rear view now, but um, I recently worked on Sleep Tight, which just came out on the Switch, which was a really great indie project um, run by like a really small team uh, of folks who wanted to make like a Pixar inspired survival like Nerf shooter. Um, oh, that was really okay. Fun. And then most recently, Spyro. Um, so I was uh, one of the uh, main character design redesigners on the reignited trilogy of Spyro games coming out for the PS4 in like two months now. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What's that been like working on that, uh, that IP really fun. Um, I had such a huge attachment and, and passion for that as a kid. Uh, when I was playing that originally with like my sister, we, we had a PS one for like just a very brief sort of window of our childhood. And the only thing we, we played on it was Spyro. So getting to like revisit that and kind of, re-examine and like re-encounter those characters in their really very wonky polygonal state um (laughs) and sort of sit with that and be like wow that is not i my mind filled in so much more than was actually there on the screen at the time serious nostalgia hit for you though i'm sure for sure yeah and they're super super fun just like a really colorful world to get to design in yeah that's cool and then i think i saw that you work you're working on a wing feather chronicles thing Pro, what is it saga wing feather saga the wing feather saga yeah absolutely we just uh last year sort of culminated a couple of sort of years of, of work for the team i came on sort of midway through the process and then became the um production designer okay sort of and explain what that is to people who haven't heard of it sorry yeah, absolutely. So the yeah, Wingfeather Saga was or is a, um, I guess I can't say trilogy. It's it's four books. Um, they're amazing. Uh, they're really fun kind of young adult fiction in kind of a whimsical kind of roll doll and Narnia kind of vein. Yeah. Um, and uh, working with the author and a couple of, of friends uh, as part of that team that sort of formed around that uh, and kickstarted short film based off of that. Um, yeah sort of super recently so that's cool so is that the first film you've worked on yeah actually that was um that's a huge shift for me moving away from games and books and comics and things of that nature to actually finally getting to take a swing on an animated film very cool well uh before we jump in and ask you more questions about all the stuff you've done uh we want to introduce another special guest and chris is going to tell us about that hey so every now and then uh we try to do it every time with our 
recordings of our podcasts is we invite one of our monthly supporters um, to come on the podcast and kind of be a fly on the wall and get to listen in on the recording live and hear all the screw ups and wonderful things that we do. Um, but then also we give them a chance to ask our special guest a question, um, something that they came up with or something that's just really, you know, on their mind to ask. And so today we have Michael Brown, uh, who's one of, as I said, LTN's monthly supporters. He helps us do what we do and we're super grateful for that. So, uh, Hey Michael, what's going on? Hey guys. Good to have you here, man. Um, so yeah, go ahead. If you've got a question for Nick, uh, hopefully you've got a question or this will be really awkward. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a two-parter for him. Uh, so Uh-oh. Nicholas, uh, what was your original inspiration when you first started being able to do this for games and other media? And what is your favorite project you've worked on so far in your career? Oh, man. Uh, original inspiration is such a tricky thing to trace because it uh, it started with me, I think, you know, I, I mean, every artist answers this, that they've been sort of drawing as, as early as they could hold a crayon. And that's definitely yeah. true for me. Um, but for games, uh, I, I honestly, my, my heyday in gaming was the Sega Dreamcast I had as a, like an eighth grader. Um, I loved the crap out of that console. <laughs> um, and for me, some of the games on that, Jet Grind Radio, um, yeah. later like Jet Set Radio Future, so good. Um, and, uh, Skies of Arcadia was like a huge one for me, an RPG for that console. Um, so those like both sort of, I I think I I probably think about both of those about once a month. And then, uh, in terms of favorite projects, I mean, that's, that's really pretty tricky to sort of parse out. I think honestly, you know, you brought up Wing Feather. It's not a game, but it, uh, was just such an amazing thing to get to adapt that fiction, uh, and those characters and sort of bring to life. Uh, a world that was really fleshed out by the author beforehand. Um, I think the stuff I like the most about the work I get to do is always the world building. Yeah. When I get to sort of solve problems and do design stuff that has a little more depth to it than just like, this guy is a puncher. He punches really good. <laughs> uh, make sure the, the player knows that he he's sure going to punch you, you know, and that's yeah. more often than not like the, parameters for the design work I get to do. And so when I get to do something that has a little more um, substance to it in that way, yeah. I really love that. And that's that's within games as well, for sure. Um, so I don't, I, I was looking at some of your portfolio and your art stuff and I did see the wing feather thing and I don't know anything about it, but having you mention like Skies of Arcadia, <laughs> is there any like similarities between those two? Again, I know zero about wing feather. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, for, for me in my head, there definitely is always um, some of those classic like JRPG mm-hmm. uh, games of my childhood. I, I loved Final Fantasy IX as well. I said I, I played only Spyro on the PS1. That's not entirely true. I also <laughs> played Final Fantasy IX. Yeah. Um, but we really literally only had like two discs. Um, and that was such a good choice. Because <laughs> it just had this this chunky kind of fantasy aesthetic that has stuck with me in a big way yeah. since. Um, and it's funny cause you're working then later on with professionals who are maybe from different generations or just from different frames of reference. And maybe they yeah. came purely through film. A lot of the guys who I've worked with worked on, you know, things like veggie tales and stuff like that. You yeah. know, they, they came out of uh, a very different uh, sort of artistic 
lineage um and so to, to come i would to say veggie tales is different than final fantasy 9 yeah would you yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've always thought of of bob the tomato as kind of a black mage yeah. but um and now i'm <laughs> fan art is imminent um oh boy <laughs> um, wow i've never thought of reinventing the, the veggie tales cast ah i gotta do it um yeah I, that's interesting you brought up final fantasy 9 um because i'm connecting the dots now again like i just looked over your portfolio a little bit today and i think i see some of that i don't know if whimsy i don't know like just <laughs> that kind of art style there's something very particular about it mm-hmm. is that fair to say you think for you uh yeah i think whimsy is such a funny word uh whimsy is the word i think that i would like people to independently come up with when trying to like describe my work mm-hmm. but I, you sure as heck can't use it yourself <laughs> to describe <laughs> your work <laughs> i'm yeah. a whimsical artist i think of myself as highly whimsical you just sit there basically shaking quietly hoping someone else is going to be like oh yeah. i think you're quite whimsical you're like thank you so I passed. I passed the test. Yeah. We did it, Drew. Yeah. That's big. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a probably big, pretty nice moment for you, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yep. kidding. Uh, it's funny. So, like, knowing that in my head I'm coming to a design, things like Wing Feather via, you know, Zelda and Final Fantasy IX and Skies of Arcadia, and I'm working with these uh, other other people who are incredibly talented, but just have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, and so you're trying to find ways to communicate. You realize like late in the game, like when somebody asks you a question about something, they're like, so why does this boot have just a huge buckle that serves no functional purpose? <laughs> and it's like, Oh, it never even occurred to yeah. me. To ask that <laughs> you're question. asking the wrong questions, buddy. <laughs> have you played yeah. early dreamcast, uh, JRPGs? That's funny. Well, thanks for the question, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Well, uh, so, so how did you get into uh, working on on games? Like, where, that was your uh, your your background is as an artist. Was the goal always to to do that in the game realm, or or what? What was your kind of hope? Uh, honestly, no. I, I think that as an artist, I originally my passion was comics. Um, I think that as I was coming up as a teenager like spider-man was just really huge for me and a a couple of sort of the weird i don't know how familiar with comics you guys are but there was kind of a image comics of the late 90s early 2000s kind of vibe that uh i was just i just ate up with a spoon at the time um Mm -hmm. things like battle chasers and crimson Mm -hmm. and um yeah just kind of stuff that had that kind of uh American comics meets Japanese uh, sort of manga influence. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that was where I was headed. And then sort of film and animation oh, kind of yeah. knocked me sideways. And I saw like the Lord of the Rings trilogy originally. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to, I want to decide like really gross dragons. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think part of it coincided with like a really weird time of my like young male pubescence where I was just like, yeah, I want to do nasty, cool, sick stuff. that's really like <laughs> detailed that my mom would hate. Yeah. Um, we've all been there. <laughs> and uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings isn't that, but I definitely like loved like 
the Balrog and the cave yeah. troll. And I was like, these are the, the movies kind of are, you know, like, like Peter Jackson definitely took a, like, let's make these orcs look as like disgusting as we possibly oh, can. Totally. When they're like birthing those Urukai and stuff like that's gross. Yeah. Right? For sure. And TV was just like, ah, more. Where can I find more? Uh, More orcs being pried out of gelatinous shells or whatever. Um, And honestly, like animation then hit for me. And I realized, like, sort of late high school, early college, that I just loved, like, Ghibli movies. And um, so, like, Miyazaki, I don't know if you guys are. Yeah, what's your favorite Ghibli film? I am actually a huge fan of Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. I just watched that a few weeks ago with my my daughter. (laughs) It's a great one to watch with a a person. How old's your daughter? Uh, So we have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old daughter, and then I have a a 12-month-old. He's almost 12, almost a year-old little boy. So, you know. So we watch, like, like we, I've been slowly increasing my uh, Ghibli collection to sort of like force them to watch some like good kids movies. Now, not all Ghibli <laughs> films are like kid friendly necessarily, but yeah, it's like, I just, you know, every once in a while I'm like, we're going to watch a movie together and I'm choosing it. And it's, it's generally going to be a Ghibli film. So <laughs> I still haven't seen one yet. So which one should I start oh my with? Goodness. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, Cause I mean, I don't know enough about you, but if you're jamming on that, like, gross orc energy then the <laughs> only way in has to be through like princess yeah. mononoke and i know that title sounds like it's not gonna be but it's it's got that nasty stuff that you it's pretty like. hardcore yeah <laughs> like, clearly yeah, love. <laughs> yeah. And it's most that's most young men's way into ghibli stuff because it's got a lot of like gross violent yeah. sort of cool wild visual stuff yeah, yeah. And uh you'd probably there's some like um there's some good ones you get to watch with your wife too, I think. Like uh Yeah. Um oh uh Up on Poppy Hill from Up on Poppy Hill would be a good one. It's not that's not a Miyazaki that's his that's Goro, isn't it? That did that one, I Goro think Miyazaki. Is, yeah. I think it's yeah. his son uh that did that film, but it's it's a really like you'd probably enjoy watching that with your your, your wife. You you know, so it's a good like date date night you know kind of movie yeah i just found out a friend of ours has all of them so i just need to borrow them and do it there you go yeah mm-hmm. uh my favorite is probably like just because just because watching it with my kids is so great but it's probably um uh my neighbor totoro spirited away is probably i think the best like one from a like the theme of the film just is just beautiful and really um like empowering like i love i love watching that one with my kids it's a little like it's kind of a little bit of a horror film at the beginning so it's kind of scary for them but the yeah the, it's terrifying the and it, it, it's just but it has like, that um, i love the message it sends to my kids quality of guess, like that makes sense like a kind of quiet mystery to it that like a lot of my favorite things when i was a kid all seem to have uh and I just, yeah, that one's a great, I would say that that's probably his masterpiece. Um, but Kiki's just has this like gentle, it was the first movie I think I ever saw that didn't have a bad guy in it. Oh. And that was huge for me. Um, what film was that? I lost you for a second. 
Oh, that was Kiki's delivery service. That oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. It doesn't really have a, a villain. Yeah, if you're like raised on like what sort of the West considers like these are for boys kind of cartoons of the 90s, then like mm-hmm. a movie without like a super villain who like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the first time you encounter like, yeah, and she just, you know, her struggles are internal and, and she just really wants to make people happy. I remember like trying not to cry because it was so nice and <laughs> being like, what, yeah. is, what are these feelings? Yeah. It's just a film about a girl who wants to prove she's like strong and capable and, uh, and also like wants to make friends. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Did I you, uh, Nick, did you get to play either of the Nino Cooney games? Actually, we just got Nino Kuni Two, which is the first time I've I've played either because we just got the a PS4 recently. Um, and my wife's been playing it primarily, and I've just been watching her. Just like the way the way I play games that are pretty that I like is that I wander into corners and stare at the textures from slightly different lighting. <laughs> an artist, oh my gosh! <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. I will never stream on Twitch. Um, yeah. yeah, you'll have like so, six viewers that are all be other artists. <laughs> yeah, Just you can do like an artist kind of thing, you know, and get artists watching you look at textures and stuff. It'd be like a, like a Bob Ross Twitch, basically. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at the <laughs> look at the metallic sheen. They Bob Ross does there. video games. <laughs> yeah. Happy little bricks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cool. I think the original question was how I wound up in games, but. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then we got off on. <laughs> we got off into Miyazaki. Um, games just kind of happened to me, you know. Like it was just uh, I was chasing all of this stuff that I was discovering that I loved, and kind of shedding a little bit of that like gross teen boy thing. Um, all in the same time of graduating and needing work and looking, and, and the the industry was really booming at the time that I left college and. I found that as it was growing, it was sort of growing into something that had the potential for and was realizing the potential for a lot of that subtlety and a lot of the um, nuances of story and and all the indie game scene was blowing up and things Mm -hmm. like um, Flower and then Journey from that game company were coming out and uh, Shadow of the Colossus had recently dropped. And I was like, this rules and all that energy from the Dreamcast days of my childhood, (laughs) like came back and, um, and I was really like thrown very thoroughly into, uh, yeah, kind of a, just like a, a weird ride <laughs> through AAA games into indie games and then sort of. So, uh, where did you grow up? <laughs> uh, I, uh, <laughs> more complicated than it should be. Oh, I, wow, okay. I That's our first to- question, man. We, we gotta get it going. <laughs> I was born in Detroit. I was raised overseas. Okay. Okay. You were born in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you said you're raised overseas. So, like, where, where, whereabouts? Uh, my dad's a, a journalist for the Associated Press, so we kind of just followed his work um, wherever it took us, and wound up living in uh, France, and then Holland, and then Austria. Um, okay. And, uh, Austria for the longest. What was that like? I mean, did you learn French and things like that? <laughs> and German. Yeah. Yeah. I learned every language in every country and then promptly forgot it. I think I have like one equipable language slot. That's not English. Um, <laughs> and Thanks it's for putting just... that in nerd terms for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And the latest thing that I put in there was uh, German, but it's kind of like a Zelda weapon. Orcish, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's Kinderin, so you know, <laughs> yeah. it's the black language of Mordor, which I will not utter here. Yeah, good. That's good. This <laughs> isn't a safe place for that. So, uh, did did you enjoy growing up overseas, or did you like growing up? Did you kind of wish you could be back, you know, in a, like a normal existence in the states, or what was that like for you? No, yeah, that's a very astute. You were you raised overseas? I was not, but I know a lot of people oh. that were. So yeah, yeah. So you you know them that like uh, that's equally possible because I definitely I moved in and out of both boats. Like I I okay. definitely yeah. enjoyed it. Um, but when you hit that awkward teen phase, you just want to be somewhere where they have like Oreos and stuff I recognize, <laughs> and I want to go to a mall, and I want to live somewhere where you know there's like I don't yeah. know football teams to bully me (laughs) (laughs) when you're a teenager you just want what you don't currently have that's basically what happens exactly yes yeah 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 i had an obsession with like small town america oh really never experienced yeah completely oh man well you're not missing much (laughs) well smallville the show would beg to differ (laughs) Okay. That's not We're accurate taking. at all, I feel like. <laughs> There's no insect men who shed their skin and not yet. Well, maybe. <laughs> One day we'll find out. Um so what does your mom do? You said your dad was a journalist? Oh, my mom is an illustrator. Um and so she actually took her work kind of with us wherever we went and was able to sort of uh find ways to That's be nice. constantly illustrating and painting. Um, yeah. no matter what country we wound up in. Uh, okay. And that meant that like the art supplies were always around. And so I was always just drying out her Prismacolors um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and making her office of this. But What does she do illustrations for primarily? She, uh, well, these days she teaches art and she does sort of um, children's books, actually. So she's oh, yeah. been doing a series of children's books. Uh, with some of the local writers and artists in Cape Cod, where they now live, mm-hmm. called Alex the Cape Cod Ant. They're really great. And so I guess that's part of where you got your your artistic sensibility from, was from your relationship with your mom? For sure, yeah. And I think it's sort of a, a combination, like uh, the visual yeah, kind of uh, sensibilities from mom and then sort of the obsession with story and, and the written word from my dad. Was uh, religion a part of your upbringing? Did you grow up in a religious family? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, my my uh, my parents actually <laughs> they met as missionaries. Um, they both met overseas. They were in Belgium, and at the time, the going wisdom was that uh, since they didn't speak Belgian, sorry, sorry uh, Flemish, Dutch, and the, uh, the Belgians didn't speak English, that they would preach the gospel through the art of mime. Wow. Um, Wow, there's so a story there. My parents met uh, as missionary mimes, in and they didn't speak for a whole year. <laughs> as is our their, religious tradition. The first year of their relationship was entirely in mime. <laughs> wow, I do have footage of like mom putting makeup on dad and like <laughs> sort of doing these very elaborate, like highly allegorical Christian mime routines that. <laughs> Picking invisible oh, apples, offering them to each other. 
I've yeah. literally That's never incredible. heard of that. <laughs> I really You've never heard of like Christian miming groups no. or have you? Or not miming groups, but I feel like there's definitely like mission groups that did like uh um, Oh sure, like dances and skits and yeah, right. obviously like all that. Videos, but right? Miming, I've never yeah. this is a first. <laughs> yep. I am the son of, of two Christian <laughs> missionary mimers. Christian, Christian missionary, missionary mimers. That's great. Do they still mime? Are they like still into it? No, they are mortified. Do you that even I mime, bro? <laughs> Do you even mime, bro? <laughs> there are photos of them in front of like uh, mustard colored curtains framed perfectly in the center, and it looks more Wes Anderson than I think anybody, <laughs> like, than Wes himself has ever shot. Wow. It's, so do they like are they embarrassed by it do they look on it like <laughs> fondly uh i think i've by virtue of embracing it i have sort of at least forced my dad to look on it fondly i think initially he was just like don't tell people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh why um mom was always a little more chill about it but i think you know neither of them would like me to upload the vhs to youtube but i would it'll happen <laughs> We're gonna yeah, have. We're gonna I think have it's. Uh, I think it's week. important. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Christian miming moment. Yeah. <laughs> Not really great, compelling audio. I don't think. Yeah. So, like, growing up with um, Christian missionary mimes, uh, what was <laughs> like? We, I guess you you grew up, you know, being introduced to the faith. And I think we talked earlier. You said you're a Christian, so you stuck with yeah. it. I guess. Yeah. Um, did was there like was there ever a time that you were like I don't I don't want to be a part of this stuff that my mom and dad are into it's not for me or was it always kind of like something you just always kind of bought into? Mm. Yeah, I, it, it's it, there was definitely a lot of sort of challenge to that sort of faith. Uh, mm-hmm. Traveling overseas and going from place to place again and again and encountering like all kinds of different people and ways of life and, um, and being, again, I keep mentioning it, but just being like, you know, sort of pissant teenager at the time, um, hard not to, uh, sort of rebel and want to go off on my own, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, no Harry Potter. That was the kind of tone for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, mom didn't like monsters and like anything with guns in it. Didn't like anything, you know, uh, that I just craved (laughs) wanted to like, so she didn't like Harry Potter or she did. She did not. No, didn't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, cause it was viewed as, I guess you grew up in a fairly conservative Christian home then. Kind of. Yeah. It's funny cause I wouldn't think that looking back was we were, we were traveling so broadly and, um, Mm -hmm. dad being part of the, um, fake liberal media, um, (laughs) kind of, Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's some interesting stuff there. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we always sort of, there was a, a tug and uh, tug of war, um, to some extent. I remember, you know, at different points, like winning, like the opportunity to like, you know, when like the matrix came out and it was like allegorical enough for pastors to put it in their servants. And I was allowed mm. to watch it as a result. Um, Lord of the great. Rings. Big I love the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like too. the first one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It kind of went off the rails a little bit. I feel like, but <laughs> I think a the lot first film is the first film is like a near perfect, 
like sci-fi adventure story. They should have just stopped. I mean, I don't know why they kept going. The second film is fun to watch. Like the action sequences are fun. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I haven't is. watched the second, the second or third in a long time. Me neither. That first one, I, re- I was so obsessed. Yeah, I remember watching the Matrix, the first one, just a a year or two ago, and just so amazed at how well it's held up. You know, like sometimes you watch movies from a long time ago, and you're like, "Oh, this did not age well." Uh, but I was surprised. Like, it's killer. Yeah, my wife and yeah. I actually watched it. She had never seen it, but we watched it like a, a month or two ago wow. for her first time. And I was definitely ready to like just kind of cringe my way through it. But because um, I was, you know, I was in so deep oh, yeah. <laughs> in high school. <laughs> my friends and I made a, an hour long uh, comedy Matrix parody. As one you know, does. Oh, nice. Printed DVDs, oh, you know, made shirts, the whole Gosh, thing. Gosh, we would have been friends. <laughs> are you sure because i had maybe three of those so. i'd have been fourth <laughs> how do you feel about small pizzas and trampolines in that order that's big into both of those uh yeah absolutely yeah. tiny I mean, pizza bites pizza bagels I mean. and then some trampoline time little matrix yep. maybe some super smash Bros. i'm down right on sounds good I mentioned this in the podcast we recorded earlier, but we, me and my friends when I was in high school, like it's probably freshman year, we would use our trampolines to record backyard wrestling videos. Yep. So <laughs> that's how I was a pretty big nerd as well. That, we did a flip and we were like, this is like the matrix. <laughs> we need to make a movie. Anybody that didn't do that wasn't using a trampoline properly. Mm-hmm. That's my. Oh yeah, totally. So somehow I emerged from my, running around Vienna with plastic guns in a trench coat phase. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, now I draw like exclusively <laughs> bright and colorful, adorable dragons. Whimsical. Whimsical, whimsical dragon. Charming, charmingly yeah. whimsical <laughs> dragons. So, I mean, yeah. how did they feel? How'd your parents feel about like video games and stuff like playing you know, skies of Arcadia, or I mean, I guess I don't know timeline wise if you were still a kid when that was happening or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. what was that ever like a point of tension with? Cause you know, a lot of people that were brought up, you know, religious or Christian homes, like that could have been a point of contention sometimes. For sure. It was, it was always a point of contention. Mm-hmm. I mean, any, anything that they, you know, a lot of it was like, I would go over to friends' houses and play something or like sneak something in and it had that, it kind of maybe was more intense or like uh, try to find a word that's not delicious because that's a terrible word. But like, I had that like energy to it that was just like, oh, I'm getting away with it. This is so good. Uh, I'm watching RoboCop or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And yeah, I mean, looking back, like I, I, I used to really like chafe against that. Um, and I know now as an adult, like how well-intentioned it was. Yeah. Uh, if like sort of a little bit intense and um, I, I feel very strongly about my sort of sense of theology of like story and entertainment. And, um, and I think that that's sort of earned me a little bit of their respect over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kind of come to a middle ground where, you know, 
you've seen a lot of discussion maybe in the last like five to 10 years about morality in media and what, you know, is or isn't, you know, um, problematic or sexist or racist or all this sort of stuff that's been in mm-hmm. there. And when you grow up in like a conservative Christian home where you're being told like how much of this is like sinful and, and you're like, yeah, well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Like the misogyny and the, you know, sexism, racism mm-hmm. and stuff like that has always yeah. been yeah. pretty clear to me. And I think if there was anything good in all of that, it was the sense of scrutiny that my parents brought to sure. the media we consume. Yeah. Like an intentionality um, or at least a thoughtfulness of like, Hey, think about these things that you're consuming. That's interesting that you say that because I feel like a lot of conservative Christians that I talk to, what they were concerned about or their parents were concerned about with media was like the, the sexy stuff. Right. Yeah. But they weren't necessarily aware of misogyny or racism in the media Mm -hmm. that they were consuming. Those would be kind of foreign terms to a lot of like, I don't know, not all of them. Like I'm, I don't want to stereotype, but that's kind of cool to me that that was something your parents instilled in you. Because I do think that we should be really aware of like, you know, of like like media. I think it's a very good Christian, like, or that's the best of Christian interpretation of art is when we can be mindful of things that are um, diminishing of people's humanity or whatever if that makes sense no it really does yeah i think that i also grew up as a you know i was never satisfied with any single rule or like you know if mom said no i was like well why and i would come with you know just endless and very loquacious debate um to the best of my like seven-year-old ability um I think the accidental sort of end result of that was that like I made them explain to me like what it was like, well, the sexy stuff. And I'm like, well, explain the sexy, Mm -hmm. like why is the sexy stuff a problem? Why is, you know, the violence a problem to you? Um, And so I wound up getting to have like pretty adult conversations with Mm -hmm. them or other like sort of adults in the church and other like leaders in the youth ministry or whatever, you know, about these things. And, um, you felt like your parents would he- hear you out about stuff like that? Yeah, usually because it's just such a pain in the butt about it. <laughs> I didn't have another choice. Yeah. 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 They're like, Harry Potter, like, why? Like, what's the big deal? There are wizards in Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah. what's the difference? You know, like. Yeah. And so they eventually kind of accepted that about you, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think that the the chief fear was that the it was a big fear in the in the sort of late 90s early 2000s is like you know school shootings and stuff like that were becoming a big topic Mm -hmm. of um national news conversation and stuff that like the media we consumed was going to imprint on us one-to-one um and that the games we played or the comics we read or whatever were going to turn us into these you know sort of demoniac like you know barbarians that wanted mm-hmm. nothing but to you know kick people out of cars shoot them and steal them and you know like yeah. it, it it did when you enough time passes with your your parent at least in my experience and i know this isn't everybody's but i was lucky and i think enough time passed with that where they saw that i wasn't turning into some uh uncontrollable monster video game nightmare child um 
and that I was still able to have like intelligent conversations about faith with them um, through that. And I think that that's the sort of basis of the piece we now have about it. Hmm. And a lot of those crazes were so wild, like, you know, D and D and, you know, so I, I started playing D and D when I was, I think like seventh or eighth grade. Um, and my parents aren't like, I wasn't raised Christian. My parents aren't Christian really. Um, but for some reason they still bought into that, like Christian, you know, you're going to be satanic if you play D and D like that whole panic thing. And so I played D and D in secret and they found out and like freaked out about it, you know, forbid me from playing. And I kind of did what you're talking about doing wrong. Like, why? Like, what's the big deal? Like, you know, and so I, I proposed this compromise like, hey, we'll play here at the house and you can watch like you can see what it's all about. <laughs> and so we did that and they watched for maybe 30 minutes and were bored out of their skulls. <laughs> and they're like, it's fine. You can play. Please just never do it here again. It's so good. That's like an incredible reverse kung fu of the like parent making you smoke the whole pack of cigarettes. That was my that was my (laughs) crowning moment. So good. Yeah. Wow. Well, well done. So, how would you say like your faith informs the work that you do, or does it like in a in a conscious way? That's interesting to say a conscious way because I think sometimes. Uh, the work like the work demands so much of your time and attention that mm-hmm. it's hard to i think as a christian being raised like to think of work right? as worshipful or like you know you're always pray without ceasing or th- these things that get bandied around and um mm-hmm. but when you're sucked into this like you know 24 hour like obsessive comic book you know sort of binge where you're just creating stuff you're not necessarily approaching it in a way that you like you step back and you're like was i was i you know can i check all these boxes and say i was honestly like thoughtful and spiritual the entire time i was doing this um definitely not uh and so i think sometimes it's just a completely subconscious thing and but i think like truly like faith as a sort of big picture really deep down kind of motivator for why I do what I do is yeah. still very much a, a part of my life and process all the time. Yeah. Um, mm. I just, I think that maybe how that manifests often okay. is kind of a, <laughs> kind of an angst, uh, like an ache um, to be doing something more, you know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like there, it always feels like the stories that really shook me all sort of, you know, fun aside, like Lord of the Rings, like really like rocked my world. Um, C.S. Lewis like blows my mind, like G.K. Chesterton, like just rules, like everything I read from any of those three authors, like just completely like shakes me on like a level that, um, you know, several hours of, um, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but you know, like, several hours on any, you know, sort of major PS4 title that I may or may not be playing right now that may or may not involve Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just, I, I want so badly for the work I do and the games we make to be more, like just to hit that level of storytelling and world building and um, 
narrative that really like sticks with people on that level if it's if it's possible i want to find that Mm. yeah yeah i think you mentioned earlier like your you see your faith uh, or your theology even like in terms of story um i'm curious i think i know what you mean by that but um what what did what do you mean by that my faith like coming up in that environment where things were contentious you know it wasn't clear whether D&D or Harry Potter would be cool week in or week out and I heard a lot about the corrupting influence of certain things or why some things were like you know anathema um I I left that space with a lot of hang-ups about like well you know obviously like only Christian media is the right kind of media that I should be consuming or something like that all these ideas um that had to be really sort of challenged and and worked through. Um, And I think that I came to a point eventually realizing that uh, story has like a really incredible power for people. And the the way that it it affected me was a, a, like a, not an, an, so I'm trying to like do this without like super churchy lingo. I just, the way you encounter story is powerful. Like the way that people become fans of things is powerful. Um, that power is like, is a good thing, you know, and, and realizing that, you know, if, if anything that, that Jesus told stories and analogies that we just call parables, but they were just, you know, very, pointed concise incredible little stories that unlocked truths for people that made people stand up and realize something that they hadn't before that they were struggling to sort of come to terms with and we're all just trying to take these like unutterable things these things that are inside of us or these things that we love or or imagine and these uh, as an artist it's visual but you know it might also be just something that you're thinking you know um that you, you would try to put into writing um and i started to realize that the, the reason I draw when I draw for myself or draw out of myself um, is to try and put those things that I don't know how to say with my words. Um, and I can't mime um, <laughs> uh, into like a visual format so that people can sort of encounter what I'm trying to say in a different way. And just trying to like hit at that truth from a different angle with a hopeful intention of knocking something loose and connecting with somebody else. Um, and yeah. And, and so I think that that's, that's the way that I've received faith. That's the way that, you know, through stories, through um, if, you know, if faith comes through people, comes through church, comes through music, comes through, you know, the reading this book that was written thousands of years ago and you're taking it in and, uh, you're supposed to be having a profound spiritual experience. And sometimes you do. Uh, I, I just feel like that same logic applies, has to apply to uh, work that we do for each other that maybe hasn't been traditionally like considered the right sort of quote unquote, sort of high church, high art Christian kind of stuff that people understand that way. Holy fandom. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. And I see like, the gospel more in terms of story now than I used to, too. Like, um, like it's a, I think some people hear that and they think, well, you must not think it's really true. Like, I really do think 
that it's a true story in the best sense of the term, but it, but like the, the Christian story, like the story of the gospel or whatever is it's, it's not just, uh, this set of, um, like doctrine that you need to believe, although there's doctrines involved and things, and those things are important. I don't want to downplay the importance of doctrine, but, uh, but it's, it's a really beautiful story and it doesn't necessarily matter if I believe all the right things about it so much as it's a story that we're all part of. Um, I don't know. That's given a lot of like life to my faith in the last several, last few years, I would say. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but. So there's this uh, author, it's a book I read a while ago and he's kind of talking about this, his, his own like faith journey and, you know, he was raised like super conservative Baptist and then he went atheist and then he came back. And one of these things that he talks about is this idea of like something being true versus something being like, you know, historical fact or absolute truth or something like this. And he references uh, Starry Night, you know, the Van Gogh painting. And he says, you look at Starry Night, and you look at that painting. Would you say that? That is exactly what a starry night looks like. Like, no, you'd go outside and you'd look up and you'd be like, well, that doesn't look anything like that painting. That painting's really weird. But could you look at that painting and say that it's true? Like that looking at that gives you the same feelings or evokes the same emotions that looking at a starry night evokes. And I just thought that was so dead on, you know, and I think that's what so many people get hung up on when it comes to like the Bible or the stories that are in there is like, we, we come at it with this particular, like, you know, how we would read, you know, our history textbooks or something. And I think at times you can read it that way, but you also have to think about, you know, what's, what's true and, Mm -hmm. and real. You'll miss a lot of the best parts of it. I think if that's the only way you, you, you read it because it's not really meant to be read that way. I don't think, Mm. Which is a whole other discussion. It wasn't written that way, <laughs> you know, because right. I mean, they right. didn't have that. Like back in the freaking, you know, that time when this stuff was written, it, they didn't have, you know, your science textbooks or whatever, like we have in our schools and everything else. Like it was never written that way. I think one of the, one of my favorite things that that does, like that's scripture as well as story both do, is that when you read something that is sort of this, um, kind of higher poetry, higher language that kind of feels um, in scripture. It's usually this sort of spiritually kind of higher imagery that sometimes the visions that they'll have these like wild revelatory things. Right. But even just the, the like subtler stuff um, in the parables um, leaves you with something to think about, you know, they talk about, you know, like the, uh, the, the Lord's eyes on the sparrow or whatever. And, and they knows the hairs on your head and, and it makes you think about the hairs on your head a little bit differently when you leave. You're just like, oh, that's how many hairs are on my head? You start to think, you know, it, it, it changes the way you think about something as ordinary as your own head. <laughs> and I think that a uh, story of any kind, like, leaves uh, an imprint on the world around us in, like, a way that, you know, the, the best kind of um, fiction like Harry Potter, you know, like for me, like it, it made me, after I stopped reading, I would like walk out into the streets, into the city or whatever. And, and around every corner, like has the 
had the potential for magic and for story like tucked away, um, I started to look at things differently and I would wander through the streets and a tree would strike me a particular way or the light or the rain or something. And it had meaning now to me in a way that otherwise I might not have noticed because I was in this headspace that this, this book had put me into. Um, and I think that scripture is like that too. And I think that because they are related, we should treat them with that kind of respect, you know, that, we have the power to like really change the way people go out and see the world uh, based on yeah. the kind of vision we give. That's a, that's a lovely thought, I think, to end on. We're about out of time here, but I really enjoyed talking to you, Nicholas, and uh, apologize for all of the technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah. But uh, wh- what's the best place for people to find you online? Oh, uh, all over the place. But uh, I primarily, uh, I, I'm on Instagram, just username Nicholas Cole. Uh, K-O-L-E. And then, uh, K-O-L-E. And then uh, um is my main portfolio website. You can find me there as well. Great. Cool. You can follow me on Twitter, Drew Dixon 82 Chris doesn't use the Twitters, but you can find him on Facebook. Um, be sure to go follow Love Thy Nerd on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We have a community. Search for Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook. And uh, come and join our community and talk about nerdy stuff with other nerds. Um, and uh, go thanks check for, out. Uh, thanks to Michael, too, for coming on. Yeah. And Michael is a part of that community. So if you want to hang out with Michael Brown. He's got our... the strongest GIF game of anybody I know. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> for real. Legit. Yeah. And uh, go check out our podcast network. We have Free Play Podcast. We have another podcast in the works as well uh, that I'm hopeful to uh, have more information for you about soon. Um, and, uh, yeah, just go go check those out. Rate Free Play and Humans of Gaming on iTunes and whatever else you listen to podcasts on. Give us a five-star rating and uh, give, us a, give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And then tell your friends about Love Thy Nerd and about uh, Humans of Gaming on on all those same spaces. We'd really appreciate it. So uh, thanks again, Nicholas and Michael and Chris. It's great. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to Humans of Gaming, a production of Love Thy Nerd. If you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, rate, and review the show wherever you may be listening. Don't forget to check out our other show, Free Play featuring discussions of complete randomness involving gaming, community, and whatever hosts Bubba Stalkup, Matt Warmbier, and Kate Katawaki deem worthy of your earbuds. Theme music by Jay Tholen and used by permission. <laughs>